Welcome to the Angus Conversation. I'm your host, Miranda Ryman, and today I have a special co-host with me, Troy Marshall. Hi, Miranda. Glad to be here. Hey, Troy. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, We are talking about the commercial cattlemen, and if I consider someone within our walls sort of an ambassador for that, that group of producers, gosh, it would, it would be you, Troy. I'd say you know as much about commercial cattlemen out there in the country using Angus genetics as, as anybody. Um, so really, this is just our chance to talk about what the commercial cattlemen is facing in terms of challenges, what they're looking at down the road, um, you know, what, what, what else are you hoping to get out of today's episode? I think we're going to have a really great conversation. We've got two producers with Ryan Noble and Jordan that are Willis uh, that have carved a path, really done a great job of differentiating their cattle and product. And I think they bring a really unique perspective to uh, uh, seed stock guys just to get a feel of what the commercial cattlemen's thinking about, how they're looking at the plan and how they're looking towards the future um, and what they expect from their seed stock producers. So I'm, I'm excited about the conversation today. So Ryan Noble probably knows right away the way to a journalist's heart is that the first time I met him, he said, I read every one of your articles. And I I didn't believe him at first until he started quoting ones from like three years ago, four years ago. And I thought, okay, this, this guy is a smart guy. He is a reader. He's, he's reading everything I'm putting out. So of course he must be, be really, uh, really in tune. But the thing that I think is the truth in that, you know, I say that a little tongue in cheek, but the truth in that is both of these guys have used a lot of the tools and, and education and things that we we've provided. They really have. I think the sophistication of their breeding program and the emphasis they put on uh, marketing those genetics and managing those genetics um, puts them in a league, uh, a pretty rarefied air, I guess. So. so if you are a commercial producer listening to this program, you'll probably learn some actual tips that you can pick up. If you're a seed stock breeder listening to this program, and these guys are your target audience. <laughs> these yeah. these are the guys that you should be maybe learning a little bit, a little bit from. Um, what are some other ways that seed stock producers can make sure that they are in tune with what their commercial customers are up to? I don't think there's anything better than just having the discussion with them and getting on their places and uh, having the conversation like we're going to have with the podcast, see what uh, uh, they see as their biggest challenges and pain points and and where they're taking their operation. Um, I think it's really important to kind of understand the goals. And, you know, one of the neat things about these guys, too, is that uh, they're very family oriented. This is all about passing it on to the next generation and and building a legacy. And I think that's a cool thing about being a seed stock producer is we get to be in a, in a really unique position where we can come alongside these producers and, and help them create a better future. It's kind of an exciting job. It's almost a, a change in title from seed stock producer to legacy builder. That kind of has a ring to it. I like that. I like that. <laughs> All right, well, let's just go ahead and jump into the conversation. That sounds great. Welcome to the Angus Conversation. Today, I'm really excited to have an episode that's sort of near and dear to my heart. Those of you who are listeners know that that I come from the commercial side of the business. So we've got a couple of commercial producers here on with us, as, as well as Troy Marshall, who's the Director of Commercial Programs for the American Angus Association. Hey, Troy. Good morning, Miranda. How are you doing today? I'm better than good. 
Excellent. And we're, we're looking on screen here at uh, Ryan Noble. Ryan's out there at Yuma, Colorado. You got to say hi. Hey, Miranda. <laughs> Perfect. And we, we've got uh, Jordan Willis at Cokeville, Wyoming. Hey, Jordan. Good morning, Miranda. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation uh, for a, a bunch of different reasons, but probably because anytime I have been around this group of people, I think that I have learned something. I've had a lot of laughs. As a matter of fact, I first met Ryan uh, visiting his family's operation. And I think, I, I don't know who's, who is funnier in Ryan's family, if it's Ryan, if it's his mother, his wife, Ranella, <laughs> or his dad with like the one-liner, just, you know, if you ever spend any time at the Noble Ranch, be prepared to, to laugh so hard you'll cry. So, <laughs> um, and then of course, Jordan, I think Ryan introduced introduced the two of us at an Angus convention. I had read your guys' stories and and the CAB crew had covered your your ranch, but I think maybe the first time we really got to know each other, we were having Frosties and French fries out in a, a conference room lobby or something, right? <laughs> that, yeah, it was. It wasn't that in Reno. Yes, uh, that was Reno. Yeah. Yeah, Angus Convention. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I feel like I I know you guys pretty well, but to give our audience a chance to get to know you just a little bit, maybe maybe Jordan, start with you. You want to just tell me just a little bit about your guys's your guys's operation there and your family. Yeah, so we're, uh, I'm a third generation rancher here in Coteville, Wyoming. Um, we're a commercial cow-calf operation, um, run uh, strictly black Angus cattle. And uh, I, I, I work uh, with my two other brothers and my mom and, and uh, our families, of course. And so we're just a out and old tight-knit family operation. And and uh, we're, we're fairly diversified. We, we run... Uh, uh, Black Angus cattle, but we also have a pretty intensive like farming operation and and sell dairy hay to the local dairies and and grow barley for 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 feed and uh, also for for malt barley. So that's kind of us. We're we're high altitude, so you know we um, don't don't uh, aren't as productive as maybe some other folks across the country as far as you know growing a lot of crops, but um, we can grow some, I don't know, grow better crops because we're a little higher, cooler elevation and uh, cooler temperature, I guess I should say. So that's kind of us in a scope. So, And we have gotten you in from the combine and I believe your your son is off school and running it for you. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we luckily we don't uh, we don't have school on Fridays here in Copeville. So <laughs> Uh, he's off in the combine, uh, taking care of things while I'm visiting with you guys. So that's great when they get to that helpful age, Ryan, I know your <laughs> kids are, are pretty good hands there as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your family operation? Yep. So we're out here in, uh, Yuma, Colorado, which is out towards the Kansas, Nebraska border in Eastern Colorado. Uh, my great grandfather homesteaded here in 1910. So I am the fourth generation and my kids are coming up with some pretty strong interest in their fifth generation on this ranch. Uh, a long time ago, it was it was mostly row crops, and the 1950s kind of made everybody pivot a little bit there and started putting some of this farm ground back in the pasture, and and more grass was added as we came along. But uh, so anyhow, currently today, 
we're all we're all uh, native pasture. We do graze some corn stalks in the winter time and some after feeds. But uh, it's a family operation, a lot like Jordan's. We're super tight knit. Uh, wake up every morning and and work with my mom and dad, and my wife Renella, and we do have one full time employee. And uh, the drought of 2019 and 20 really hit us hard. And up until that point, we were absolutely a cow calf operation and developed a few heifers, but we just had to do something because of the drought. So, so we liquidated the cows and pivoted into uh, developing heifers. Uh, we are very strong to black Angus heifers. We own several uh, bull stud prospects and, and producers. They're all all uh, being collected. We have some bulls that we're in partnership with uh, ABS on and, and Basin Angus. And anyhow, we, uh, I think last year we AI'd about 1800 heifers here on the ranch and several hundred more at other neighboring ranches. So, uh, so we've, we've really made a few changes in the last few years, but that was all weather dictated. I would, I would anticipate at some point in time, we'll have a cow herd again, but as y'all know, with the drought, you just gotta, you just got to pivot. And that's one thing we, we've learned from our forefathers is if you're not going to change a little bit and roll with the punches, you might not be here the next time. So, so that's kind of what we're up to. So. Absolutely. Now, Troy, when I caught you in the hallway, the last time I was in St. Joe, I said, Hey, I'm thinking of asking Jordan Willis and Ryan Noble. And you said that would be fantastic. So t- tell me a little bit about why, um, why you guys, why you think these guys, provide such a good look into our commercial customers? Well, Jordan was recognized. He was our nominee or their family was, I should say, for the uh, Beef Improvement Federation Commercial Producer of the Year Award. just really dynamic operation. I love the family aspect of it and they've done a wonderful job. Uh, I'm a Wyoming native, so I like the fact that Jordan's from Cokeville and that as well. And then of course, Ryan, um, what can you say? I did, there's going to be a wealth of information and we won't have any shortage of, uh, I think, humor, uh, <laughs> along with a lot of real wisdom packed in there. So I'm excited about the conversation today. You know, I think that when I when I asked you, Jordan, I said, well, don't worry if you won't talk at all. We've got Ryan on. So we have trouble. <laughs> we've always got Ryan. He'll say something. <laughs> Um, you got you got to wear off all that ice cream one way or another so it's a lot easier than the treadmill so (laughs) so when I think about your guys' stories one thing that I I think is unique and fun to talk about with both of you is that your guys' operations really looked different when you when you first came back so maybe give us a picture of kind of what you were doing then and and how you've had to evolve all right so I was, I was one of these lucky kids that uh, always knew what I wanted to do growing up. I mean, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be out with cows. I wanted to be fixing fence, looking at grass. And, and that just stayed with me all, all through uh, my formidable years in high school. And, and uh, man, I just couldn't wait to come back to the ranch and just get busy doing what I wanted to do. I did go to college for a couple of years, got a two-year associate's degree in production agriculture, but you know, my main drive has always been, I want to be a rancher. And I think that was one of the big things that helped me to uh, stay motivated and stay focused. You know, I wasn't on the fence, whether I want to be a a rancher or, you know, go to college and play football or anything like that. It was, 
pretty definite in my mind. So, so when I came back to the ranch after my parents made me leave for a couple of years, cause it was pretty, pretty, uh, lined out that you are going to leave for a while and you're going to go to college or go to military or go get a job somewhere. So, so I settled on a couple of years of college and, and when I came back, my parents had just kind of got done living through the 1980s and man, interest was high and things were rough and there was a lot of people went broke all the way around us. So, so they were still in hunker down mode. And, uh, when I got home, I'm like, you know, we need to start growing this thing because I don't expect them to pay pay my way. So I, I picked up a couple of uh, leases from neighboring ranchers and, and just started growing and had a chance to buy a little bit of land right out, right out of the gate. And, you know, I just give my parents so much kudos because now I'm a parent thinking back, you know, 25, 30 years ago and, and they were fantastic cheerleaders and had great encouragement and lots of support, but they never really gave me anything other than a chance, you know, but, uh, they always said they believed in me and, and that we were going to get this thing done and, and, uh, took a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but we just kept after it. So at, at that point in my life, uh, you know, I'd, I'd take about any job that came along and, and I started helping the neighbors out quite a bit and had the opportunity to go to the national Western stock show with the wagon wheel ranch for several years. And it really opened my eyes to what was going on in the beef industry. And that was about the time EPDs were, starting to become a little bit used they were they were widely known but people were starting to figure out hey this epd deal might be the might be the ticket to improve my genetics without the typical you know breedable wait a thousand days or more to see what its progeny looked like on the rail and then make a decision whether that's a good breeding or not so so i started paying attention to that and i have literally been hooked on numbers and data and all that ever since I just have a, I have a lot of passion for, for improving beef cattle. So, you know, that's, that's been the whole drive and the whole focus. And, uh, I got to go back to my, to my grandma, my granny told me when I was a little boy, she said, Ryan, a good one will not eat one more bite than a bad one. So you might as well have something <laughs> you like to look at. I said, well, so. you're, you're, so I've kind of always is a wise lady. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. Ryan, one thing I remember you telling me when you're talking about those odd jobs that you did and things like that, um, I remember you telling me about an epiphany while you were hauling silage once. Do you remember that story? <laughs> like you would, you, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you can tell it if you remember it or I'll read you tell it for you. Help remind, remind me just a little bit. <laughs> sure. We'll were, it. it was like you were looking at your cows and I think now this is, I think you called them pretty average or pretty, and you were wanting to maybe invest some more in genetics. And you thought you just sat there on that silage, you know, pretty repetitive job, right? Going back and forth, hauling the silage. And, and what did you say? When I get, when I make it, or when I get oh, yeah. money, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go buy so, some uh, of those really good bulls. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, so, uh, as you said, when you're when you're uh, doing work for somebody else, there's not a lot of thinking going on. Usually, it's just to show up and get the job done. And and uh, you know, I I went home and told my wife Renella. I said, uh, you know, we've been watching our good friends in Nebraska, and what what buying better bulls has done for their program. And I said, just as soon as we have enough money, we are we are heading to Montana and we're going to follow suit and we are going to buy every one of those bulls we can. And uh, 
you know, I think the first time I went up there, I bought four head of bulls and brought them home and had a good summer with them and really happy with what we were seeing. And I had quite a few heifers and a few cows that year. And uh, the next spring, I think I went back and bought like 18 or 19 bulls. I mean, we just went all in. <laughs> so it was, it was quite a change, but uh, you know, anything worth doing is, is worth doing right now. So we made up our minds. That's the direction we were headed and, and just dove in with both feet. Haven't looked back since. So. What I've always been impressed with your operation, Ryan, too, is just how aggressive you've been and what you've created from scratch there. And I love the line where you said, they never gave me anything but a chance. I have that written down, <laughs> but I, I guess on your, um, just to, putting this all together, I, I mean, kind of just describe our your outlook or how you kind of went about building this operation from the beginning. Right. So, so I think when I uh, came home from a college, my my mom and dad had, you know, like I said, they lived through the '80s, and anybody that made it through that deal without and are still in agriculture, I I just take my hats off to them. And there's some. There's some definite PTSD that came along with that. And, uh, but you know, they just hunkered down and got the bills paid and, and knew that it'd get better someday. So when I came home, I think my dad was running 120, maybe 150 cows. I added about another 150 cows at least to that. And uh, about three, four, five years later, the, the neighbors across the highway that were like grandparents to me, uh, their place became available for sale. And, and I, uh, asked my mom and dad I'm like are you what do you think and they're like we're gonna we're gonna make a run at this deal I said okay are you sure because your place is almost paid for you've almost reached it they're like there's a reason this place is almost paid for we knew 20 years ago it'd be for sale here's the equity let's go for it so uh that was one of the bigger moves we ever made but it was just a lot of small incremental steps we grew every year be it through a small land purchase or a or a lease that we'd pick up or a partnership on, on some leased cows, but we always were growing. And probably up until 2020 or 2021, we grew every year for, for almost 20 years. And 2020 and 2021 is just so dry. And, and we contracted just a little bit and gave up a couple of those leases and uh, simplified our life a lot and actually <laughs> made things a little bit smoother to run around here but you know we just we just were all pulling in the same direction for for a long time and and that was the great part about our family is we we can sit down and have a family meeting or a business meeting or or just a or just a family get together and we all can focus in on on whatever it is the task at hand so we're pretty lucky in those regards so thanks right jordan how does that compare to to your story i'm trying to remember if if you and Jenny were married when you came back to the operation or, you know, fill me in on some of your details. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so my, my story is kind of the, the same as Ryan's. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, and I always, I always wanted to be on the ranch, you know, and, and I guess at that age, I didn't understand what it took to, I mean, I'm the youngest of the, the three brothers and I guess, you know, I didn't understand what it was going to take for, for us to all be back here on the place. But I, I always, you know, I always wanted to be here. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, as time went on, 
just like Ryan, you know, there were some places around us that we were able to expand and, and make room for all of us to be here on the place. And um, when I got out of high school or just, uh, we were, we were really expanding at that time. And, and uh, so I, I didn't, I didn't end up going to college. I, we just, I stayed here and, and kept, kept things going. Uh, but, you know, my parents, you know, this probably been 40 years ago. Uh, someone told my dad that, you know, if you want to be successful in the cow business, you gotta, you gotta buy quality. And he took that to heart. Um, you know, I remember going to bull sales with him when I was just a little kid and the, the amount of money he spent for bull. I mean, he was always the, the highest bidder and, you know, outbid, outbidding these registered breeders and coming home and putting it on our commercial operation. And I was like, you know, I was like, how's that going to all work out? But I mean, just like Ryan and said, you know, a good cow is going to eat as much grass or use as many resources as a bad one. And, you know, my dad took that to heart and, but, you know, we, we've just been fortunate and blessed to be able to, you know, pick up some land and, you know, we've, we've ever been able to expand and, and keep all of our family together. And, and, uh, you know, we've always focused on quality. Like I said, my dad, I, I swear, I, you know, been 40 plus years that he started down that road and, and, uh, you know, what I've tried to do is, you know, we got a lot of, technology and and ryan touched on that too you know with with all this dna testing and epds and you know being able to just progress your herd so much faster you know instead of waiting waiting for that animal to hang on the rail you know like ryan said you know you could before you even buy that bowl or what that you know you know what the outcome of that's going to be so um I don't know that we're kind of the same, you know, just a tight knit family operation. And, you know, I just, I've always wanted to be a, a rancher and we, we were lucky to be able to continue that. So. So talk to me, either one of you, I guess, a little bit about what your, your cowherd goals were. I mean, right away compared to now, has that changed over the years? Um, so our big deal is these cows, these females have got to do a lot of things right, really well. We, we do not need a world beater in any one department, but she has got to touch a lot of bases and do an above average job. And that's pretty much what we've been selecting seed stock for, for the last 20, 22 years is a very, very balanced approach. And because we don't want to get off on a rabbit trail that leads us to ruin or take something, you know, leads us in a direction that might take us several years, maybe a generation to, uh, to fix. So our, our thought is let's get these cows going in the right direction and then just keep, keep tweaking it. You know, uh, when we started out, of course, we've been using EPDs and, uh, and known genetics for sure. And we had a lot of guidance in that from uh, friends and seed stock producer, but uh, anyhow, you know, we, we had a pretty good idea of where our base was. And then once we got that base kind of on a level playing field, heading the direction we want, then it was a lot of fun to be able to uh, 
inject a little bit of this and kind of move the needle a little bit in that direction while still holding together the base of our cow herd. And then it, then it's just kind of incremental, you know, we'll, we'll bring in this sire to add a little of this without sacrificing anything else. And then, you know, his daughters, we can, we can uh, kind of tweak it a little bit in the other direction without sacrificing anything else. I mean, one of the easiest things for us has always been frame size. Uh, you know, we had a, we had a bull that was very, very moderate framed and we used him on, on the whole herd. We, we AI'd the heifers, we AI'd the, AI'd the cows to him. We had a lot of daughters out of him and, you know, they were just on what I would consider to be the very, very smallest stature as we wanted to produce around here. So it was easy. The next bull we went to look for, man, he had, he had a substantial <laughs> frame, but, but he brought a lot of uh, other traits that we really needed in there. And those, those daughters were good. And then we, then we went and found the bull that uh, just kind of maintained that stature and, and added a little bit more marbling. So that that's the part that we enjoy is just saying, you know what, we're, we're not going to be the best in any one region, but these, these genetics need to really perform in a lot of areas, be it on the ranch, in the grow yard, on the rail, in the feedlot, whatever, you know, they need to gain, they need, need to convert. Uh, they need to be good mamas. They got to have the right amount of milk. They just, they just got to have a lot of genetic potential, but be able to walk around out here in 14 to 18 inches of moisture and, and get the job done too. So, you know, we ask, we ask a lot of them, but, uh, you know, that's just kind of how we roll. If, if you can't, if you can't find a home here, that's fine. We'll, we'll be, we'll be happy to show you a different place to go live. So, <laughs> <laughs> Could your cattle live where Ryan's cattle live, Jordan, or do you got a different set of challenges and different set of parameters you're looking for? So, you know, as far as preset goes, Ryan and I, you know, are, are pretty similar in preset, but, um, you know, I've got a, I'm higher elevation. So, some, you know, something, that, you know, lower elevation might work for him. I got to kind of be, be mindful of that as far as, you know, the, the pack goes, but, um, we actually, uh, uh, Ryan, he, uh, feeds and develops all of our heifers. <laughs> And they, they, uh, you know, we, we kind of have the same goals, you know, you got to have the moderate framed, easy fleshing cow, you know, and, and I, I, people ask me, well, what are, what do you look for or what, when you're buying bulls or what do you look for and, and your Angus cattle and I always, and they look at me dumb, like, cause I always say, well, I, they, they need to be good across the board and, and we can, I don't see why they can't, you know you know, low birth weight, you know, uh, weaning weight's important to us because we're just cow-calf operation. We sell by the pound, but, you know, it's got to be great for the next, the next sectors in the operation too. They got to, they got to feed well, they got to hang well. So, and they got to make good mama cows. So, you know, I, I don't see in the Angus, we can have all that. We can have it all, but, um, you know, but Ryan and I, we kind of are in kind of the same <laughs> pretty dry climates compared to, you know, a, a fair amount of people across the U.S. here that, you know, have lots and lots of grass. So, you know, Troy, you have yeah. talked a lot about that, the, the being good across the board versus breeding from internal or terminal or I mean, you've got some thoughts on the way that's evolving. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I was. It's really interesting to see everybody here that's really focusing on a balanced trade approach, and we're hearing a lot of discussion just that we're making these cattle so good and have so many tools, whether on the maternal or terminal side, you know, and so they're kind of dividing up uh, maybe their maternal and terminal lines and kind of doing a little more precision breeding as we go forward. And uh, I guess that's kind of my question to Jordan and and Ryan would be uh, as we get better and better tools to make these cattle both very terminal and or uh, improve the maternal characteristics. Do you see you guys evolving into more of a maternal terminal type thing, or do you think the balanced trade approach will continue to work? I don't know. I think you, I'd like to see, I mean, you'd want to stay the, the balanced trait in my opinion. I, because maybe something maternal that, that I need on my operation because we're a cow-calf, you know, won't work for the terminal side. So I, don't, I guess I would say the, the balanced trait road would be the direction to go, but maybe I'm wrong. So, you know, I, I think this is just a ranch-by-ranch ranch conversation of what are your goals, you know, you, you can drive across the street and your neighbor's operation might just be entirely different from yours. So that, that's kind of a, a tough one size fits all answer. But I think the big deal is just each individual rancher needs to sit down and figure out, you know, what, what do I want to be when I grow up? That's one of my favorite <laughs> things. Yeah. Uh, you know, are, are you going to carry these cattle? Are you going to breed all your heifers and sell all your steers off the cow? Are you going to sell everything you own and, and buy replacement heifers or replacement cows? Are you going to, you know, are you going to carry these cattle uh, clear through terminal and, and feed them yourself and put them on the rail? Are you going to sell them by the pound? I mean, it's just, there's a thousand variables. If you look at the flow chart, what you can do with a heifer before three years of age, there's like, you know, seven or eight really good places that are profitable to sell her. You know, you can sell her off the, you can sell her as a pair with her mother to start with. You can sell her off the cow. You can background her for 45 days and sell her. You can sell her as a breeding heifer prospect. You can sell her as a yearling to go to grass. You can sell her as a bred heifer. You can sell her as a heifer pair. You can sell her as a coming three-year-old. I mean, there's just all kinds of options. So, so my thoughts and Jordan and I've talked about this a lot are, I mean, we just got to keep the door open for every possibility here. Uh, because if you're strictly a terminal guy and, and the market indicators indicators come up and say, boy, you need to be keeping these heifers. That may not be the best set of, the, of, uh, you know, that may not be the best set of heifers to be turning into cows. Or if, uh, suddenly there's an opportunity to feed your own cattle and retain some ownership. If you've been not paying attention to the carcass side of these cattle, you may not want to, you may not want to own them through the feedlot either. So there's, there's just so many variables, but I think my big takeaway is uh, you just need to be on the, you, A, you need to have goals. You need to know what, what you expect out of these cattle before you start breeding them. And then, uh, you know, just go find the cattle that are gonna, gonna work the way you want them to in the situations that you're gonna put them in. So, you know, don't, don't, don't drive a Yugo to a tractor pull. You will be highly disappointed. So. <laughs> Before you started saying anything, I was going to say it probably depends on your marketing method, but I guess you're saying you might not even know what your marketing method is when you start creating right. those calves. Yep. But, but you know, if, if you've identified that, uh, 
you know, we are going to do a, we are always going to sell off the cow and, and uh, that's kind of it. And we're not going to keep replacement heifers. Yeah. You probably want to be putting, putting quite a bit of emphasis on uh, dollar W, you know, that's, that's your, that's your game. And another thing uh, we got a, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but we got a pretty big labor shortage in, in agriculture these days. And, and these cows have maybe all been a little pampered over the last generation or two or three. We're getting to the point where there's not a lot of players in agriculture. And I think looking forward, we just need to keep developing cows, cattle in general, that can kind of work within their means as in, hey, they got grass, they got water, they got feed. These cows need to start uh, doing a lot of the rest of the work on their own because we're just getting less and less help in this industry all the time. So we're going to have to hand some of that responsibility back to the cow. And that's, that's maybe something we could start looking at breeding towards. So it's just a very, very low input labor wise type of cow. She needs to calve. She needs to be docile. She needs to be easy to handle. She needs to be feed efficient. You know, she needs to breed back all these kinds of things. And she needs to produce a product that we can, that we can uh, turn out as a yearling or we can, we can make calf feds. You know, you take what's happened in the market just in the last six months with commodities going up. Uh, a lot of these tweener calves, I'll call them, they're too small to be calf feds right now, but they're too big to turn out as yearlings to make yearlings out of. There's a pretty steep discount in the market today for these, these calves that just aren't really A or B. But if you got the genetics, you're still in good shape because you can still do A or B. But if you've been kind of uh, single trait breeding to to do A and now suddenly the economics say we need to do B, you, you might be find yourself kind of in a hole marketing wise. So, Well, I think that's a really good transition to uh, both you guys have kind of made your mark, uh, not only by building good genetics and putting the right management in the cattle, but then figuring out a way to gain or gather some premiums in the marketplace and kind of market the cattle. And I was just kind of curious if you guys kind of elaborate a little bit on your overall marketing strategy and how you go about marketing your calves. So for, for many, many years, we've been selling our calves on superior livestock. Um, we sell directly off the cow. Um, don't wean. Um, and that's what we've done. It's taken, I don't, taken a lot of years to build, in my opinion, a reputation it's just not something that happens overnight. Um, you've got to distinguish yourself. You know, we all take pride in our, our operations and what we do. And, and we've got to, you've got to do something to d distinguish yourself, to, to show those potential buyers, you know, what you've got. And so that's something we've tried to do. You know, we've, we've, we've enrolled in the Angus Link program and We've, we've started doing the, you know, the all natural, the NHTC and the gap and, and I don't, it's just, it's hard because you, <laughs> you, you want to make your, your calves look as attractive as you can to those buyers. And, and so that's what we've tried to do. And it's taken a lot of years to do that, but you know, this, this year's probably the first year that I've felt that we've, and, and it's probably the last year you never know but that we captured. <laughs> you know, the value we're just, you know, like I say, we're trying to, trying to 
provide those buyers with as much information as we can, you know, and to have the programs and the things that the, the, the buyers are looking for and to try to promote and promote what we have and, and show, you know, we've done some genetic testing on our heifers and, and promote, you know, Hey, here's the steer mates, you know, you know, they're going to perform like, like this. And I don't know, you just try to educate or, you know, the, the buyers of what you've got. So, and distinguish yourself from just the other cattle that are selling the next lot from you. So, or before you or whatever. So and one thing, you know, we, we used to, we used to have a fairly large load lot, you know, around 600 steers, six, 700 steers. And people, you know, told me, you know, you're, that that's a lot of ball and calves to get for, <laughs> for some feedlots at one time. So what we've done and is we've broke those lots up and, and given the, the buyer options and, you know, the, usually the, you know, the, they always get sold as one lot, but it's enticing or, you know, some, some, maybe some of those smaller, smaller guys to, to get us some bids on art and on our calves. So. Kind of thinking outside the box in some ways too, you know, yeah. not doing what you've always, yeah. So I've really had to uh, up my game in the marketing deal the last yeah. few years because we've trans transferred over to the yearling deal and selling a lot of bred heifers. And uh, the thing I've really learned is, is uh, you need to be a good buyer of cattle if you're going to be a good seller of cattle, you know. When, when we're just selling calves, you know, we put our hat on and like Jordan says, we take a lot of pride in what we do, but we, I don't know if we're always recognizing our buyer's needs. When you start buying cattle, you definitely come up with a set of needs. I mean, these calves have got to be uh, vaccinated. They've got to, we prefer that they're on a good mineral program. You know, just whoever we're buying these calves from, we hope is doing as good a job as, as we're doing because it makes our life so much easier. You know, we can, we can quickly identify a hole in somebody's program when we get ball and calves off a truck. If something's wrong, we're going to find about it just pretty short order. But uh, anyhow, so, so if you buy a, buy a calf and developer and seller, you, you get to see this, this 360 degree uh, evolution of the, of the whole market, you know, cause you're buying, you're buying a product and you're adding value to it. And then you're, you're uh, selling off the components of it in different pieces. So, so we, so we buy a calf and, and uh, my rule of thumb is we're not going to buy a heifer unless we're prepared to keep her and make a 12 year old cow out of her. And that keeps us out of a lot of trouble because sometimes there's a lot cheaper cattle out there we could buy, but in the end, if you buy them cheap, there's probably a reason for it because there's just not a lot of people interested in them. And uh, if you if you buy the best, you will never be disappointed. So such kind of our goal is to buy the very best cattle we can and add value to them. But anyhow, so then when we get around to, to being ready to sell these cattle, you know, our marketing is we just have got to listen because now I'm sitting on the other side of the table than where I was a year ago and asking people their needs and when people come here to look at heifers and I think Jordan would line right up with this. He's going to tell me that these cattle need to be 
gentle. Life is too short to have any kind of attitude or disposition problem. And they need to be pretty because <laughs> life's too, life is too short to look at an ugly cow every day. Uh, you know, they need to be easy fleshing. They got to be good to handle. And then they want to know about all the management. Are they up to date on their shots? What kind of mineral program are you on? Uh, you know, what's your AI program? How many days were the bulls in? And that's where I feel we really strive to meet our customers' needs. Uh, it's not uncommon to see cattle that are that are bred for a 45 to 60 day period. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a lot easier to sell if I can tell a potential customer that these heifers are probably gonna, you're gonna have the majority of the calves in eight to 10 days because we AI'd for 24 to 36 hours and, and there was no bull exposure. So, so we're just trying to sell some convenience and uh, just let these people know that that our program was built for them to succeed in the, in the, with their females once they get them home. You know, we, we talked pretty long about the level of feed that these animals get. You know, we try to set them up to where they're going to have to perform as a calf in a similar environment to what they will as a cow, you know, be whether you're out here in Eastern Colorado running on corn stalks or in Jordan's area where you're, where you're going to get fed some hay because the snow gets deep, you know, there's just a finite amount of, of available resources for this cow herd. So let's not do it on the heifer calves. Let's let mother nature come in there and say, these heifers will breed under these conditions and these heifers will not. And uh, we're the first people that are very happy to have a heifer fall out of a breeding program because we're trying to encourage her to either you know, live or die by the, by the parameters of the feed that we've set up. And what that does is long-term, you just, you just let mother nature pick out the ones that are going to breed back in normal conditions. You know, we're not trying to lift them up with man-made inputs to where we get them all bred. We're just trying to, trying to let mother nature sort out the, the better ones. And then, and then we have another opportunity to market some, some genetics and we'll put those cattle in the feedlot and they do very well there, and then they'll uh, they'll go to the rail, and and most of the time they do fantastic, and and that's that's another thing that we can talk about with some of our customers too is you know here's this set of sixty bred heifers, AI sired to this one sire they're going to calve, and you know most of them could be on the ground in seven to ten days, and here's the carcass data from all their heifer mates, their sisters, their contemporaries. You know, they went to the feedlot and gained 395 or 4.2 or whatever they did. And, and they went 55% prime and, and uh, all the choice cattle are certified Angus beef. That really gets a lot of people's attention. So yeah. that's a lot of fun. You know, I got to go way back up to one of your first points was you needed them to be gentle for, for labor. Um, I think that's probably because Jordan's a solution to labor is just to create, create your own, right? You've got, <laughs> I, I think I've seen when you've got your kids out there, even is the, is even the youngest out on horseback now? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you can appreciate that, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's right. And, you know, you look at the average age of, of uh, farmers and ranchers in the United States. And I think I said it before, but 
you know, we we've just moved past the time when when uh, anybody's got time to mess around with any kind of catalyst attitude. You know, it, up and down the chain, it doesn't do anybody any good. So I think we've done a great job with that in the last 10, 15, 20 years. But there's always room to to keep going for disposition on these cattle. So. Now you're out there, you're in a different situation now where you're, you know, kind of repping your own and having people come, come there. But Jordan, when you're going to market your calves, um, how are you making sure that the buyers know, know what they're looking at, know what they, I mean, reputation, obviously, but, but how are you conveying that? Um, so we, uh, I don't know. We like Ryan to note it to you. You you tell them everything you, you do on your operation. Um, you know, you talk about that they're up to date on their vaccines and you're on a good mineral program and on good forage. And um, but as far as and then you kind of describe our weighing conditions, you know, to you know, we 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 we're shorting, you know, 15. 1600 mother cows and sorting and sexing and so we have we don't have a shrink on them and you know you kind of have to you got to tell the buyers that and and we've got you know times of when you know the steers will be crossing the scale at such and such time and the heifers this so they they feel confident in what they're buying that they aren't you know being taken advantage of um as you know the angus link has has helped us as far as you know maybe per, promoting what the quality that we have you know they've got the 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 scores on the the screen as our calves sell and and they've also reached out to a lot of potential buyers that you know hey here's some here's some good quality calves to be looking at so you know i that has helped us you know just you know more get more people involved and educating buyers of of what we've got and Cause on sell day, you know, we've all got the best calves, right? So I mean, <laughs> you, you got to kind of, you got to kind of, I don't know, educate the, what the buyers on what you do have and try to distinguish yourself. So sure. I'll probably those... just answer your question, but <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of along those lines, Jordan too, I, a lot of the people I think are, when you start talking about third-party verification and, and documenting your management genetics and all the programs that you're involved in, with, you know, from GAP and NHTC, et cetera, can you just kind of elaborate a little bit about the audit process? I know that's a word that scares people and, and <laughs> just how monumental is the, you know, the enrollment and the audit process for those programs? So it's not near as bad as it sounds, you know, <laughs> it, it, uh, well, you know, it takes some time and it takes, you know, but it's not that big a deal. It's, it's nothing to be scared of. You know, they, they, they come and they audit your place and, you know, they, they look at your operation, you know, they look at your, you know, they can look at your working facilities to see if, you know, you're handling those cattle in, in a good manner and, and your feed resources and waters plays a big role in that. Um, you know, they look at, you know, where you keep your, your drugs and, you know, you gotta, you need to keep receipts, you know, that, you know, that's easy to obtain from your vet clinic or wherever you do obtain your, 
your drugs for your animals and you got to keep receipts of that for and records you need to keep records of you know tagging and the or at least we do i guess i shouldn't say that's mandatory but yeah. you, you got to keep you know individual records of your animals and so it's not as it's not as bad as it seems that you know a lot of times the audit is an hour or less of your time but it's well worth it to, when you go to sell your calves. So, yeah. Maybe that's our new marketing slogan. It's not as bad as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that, you know, this is a, a podcast that we assume that it's a lot of Angus breeders that are listening to it. And you guys have done an awful lot of great things and taken a lot of initiative on your own. But how much of your success do you think is maybe attributed to working with seed stock suppliers or are there things that maybe I'll flip that question. Are there things that seed stock suppliers can do to help their commercial customers become more successful? Ryan, are we going to hurry and say hundred percent is our, of our success is from our seed stock <laughs> supplier. <laughs> is he paying you to say that? <laughs> I got paid. Did you get paid Ryan to say that? Or was that just me? Not yet. He, I, I'll send him an invoice afterwards. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there, are there things that, that seed stock suppliers can do really to empower you guys, whether that's, whether that's simply through the genetics or, or access to tools or, I don't know, got any advice? Yep. So I, I was thinking about this yesterday and, uh, you know, we have so many tools available to us right now. The Angus breed, the Angus Association has done a fantastic job of getting everybody just all kinds of exciting new tools to use and to use well and, and tools that really, really mean a lot. And, uh, you know, I think it was eight or nine years ago, our seed stock provider calls me up and he's like, we need to uh, pull some DNA on your calves. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, no. I'm like, well, that's great. What's it going to cost? You know, and at the time is about $29, $30 a head. And I'm like, well, how am I ever going to get this money back? And he says, well, over time, you're going to eliminate the bottom end out of your cow herd. And it's going to be pretty painless and pretty easy and pretty identifiable. And I'm like, okay. So, uh, so at that time he was getting ready to start HD 50 King all his bulls. And he said, if we, if we do like a G max advantage on the other end, it would really line out and then we'd get a lot of information out of that. So, so we took that plunge and, and we're pretty happy with where we were at and what it, what it did for us was helped us to identify our strong suits and our weak suits that would have just took a lot of time and capital to figure out. But I guess the big takeaway from this is, is uh, our seed stock provider is forever uh, explaining new opportunities to us, challenging us, and just trying to kind of lead us down the path that he's already, you know, maybe six months ahead of or a year and a half ahead of us. He's already he's already chest deep in the water. He's just keeps trying to get us to uh, keep testing the water and going a little further for our own good. Because you know the only way you're going to advance in this in this uh, business, in my opinion, is just to keep getting better and better. Uh, and, and, you know, he definitely is challenging us to get better all the time. So personally, I think that's, that's one of the key roles of a seed stock pro 
provider is a they just need to be you need to be crystal clear about where where they're at and where they're going and i think they need to have that conversation with you and come to your ranch and and look around and see where you're at and that talk about where you want to go as well because you know if you're just if you're just selling bulls it's kind of like throwing a throwing a dart at the side of the barn you're going to hit every once in a while but man if you can if you can have this conversation and both be on the same page, then you're really going to understand each other's business. And, and that's when things really start to click and, and uh, you'll have, have the opportunity to fulfill each other's goals. And that's when it, that's when it starts getting to be a lot of fun because then you can, you can learn things from each other and use each other to uh, bounce ideas off of and, and uh, help each other to grow. I love the idea of really having a partnership with your seed stock producer and having them understand the goals and and working together with them to put together a plan to get to reach those goals. I was going to throw out to just kind of ask you guys from a crystal ball standpoint, when you look at your operations, looking ahead the next four to five years, what do you see as your biggest challenges and opportunities that I think it'd be good for all of us as seed stock producers to kind of get an idea of what you're all thinking in that area. They're both shining up their crystal balls right now. That's it. <laughs> so Troy, so Troy, you, uh, you asked what our opportunities are coming up in the next uh, four to five years and what our weaknesses are. Uh, I, I think as a, as a breeder of purebred Angus cattle, one thing we need to get fixed sooner than later, and we've, we've taken some steps to head that direction already, but this heart failure deal is pretty real. Yeah. And we just need to, we just need to get it identified. And like any other, any other problem we've had in the last 10, 15 years, genomic, uh, you know, I'm not going to call them diseases, but anyhow, uh, irregularities, we just need to, get it identified and get it out in the open and be done with it and, and move on. Cause it is, you know, if, if these guys, would, if these calves would die when they were, you know, three weeks old, the cow calf guy would be pitching a fit. I mean, you know, uh, if they would die right before you bred a heifer, you know, the backgrounder or the rich would be having a big problem with it. But these cattle are dying when they, you have spent 85, 90% of the money on them when they're hitting, you know, 11, 12, 1300 pounds and they just tip over, that is a tough pill to swallow. So as a, as a group of breeders, as a group of cattlemen, we really just need to dial in on this sucker and wipe this thing out because, you know, uh, with, with some of these other uh, genetic conditions, if a guy identified it, you could easily either send him to town or breed around it and there should be opportunity to do that as well with this heart failure thing. Uh, like I said, with the new PAP EPD, we're really making good strides, but still we feed enough cattle around here and see enough closeouts that it's a, it's pretty real. And we've taken some steps with the help of our seed stock provider to uh, get down, get away from some of these bloodlines. And it's really made a big difference. But uh, some of the opportunities that I think we have coming up, of course, our one of our biggest opportunities forever, and I applaud the Angus Association. Somebody had some foresight, you know, 45, 50 years ago, certified Angus beef. I mean, these guys are out in every nook and cranny in the world selling our product 
thank God, because I do not <laughs> want to have to drive to Korea to try to sell beef. These guys do an amazing job. They're great at what they do. And that is such a huge opportunity. Uh, we have almost twice as much product as we had just several years ago for sale. And they're selling it for twice as much as they did. It's just crazy how they just keep stepping up their game. And uh, so one of the opportunities we have is just to keep making more and keep making it better. You know, a year or two ago, I can't remember, but they, they had more orders for certified Angus beef prime than what they had product. Well, ranchers, here is an opportunity. Work with your seed stock provider. Tell them you're going to, you're going to kind of target certified Angus beef prime because there's a big market out there waiting to be waiting to be filled up. And by the time we get this year's demand filled on paper, they're going to have created more demand somewhere else around the world. So I think it's a huge opportunity. And one thing my family has done in our ranch is, you know, we'll, we'll bring a heifer calf in and, and when she leaves, there's only one of two ways she's, we're either going to feed her or we're going to breed her. And, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of capital and a lot of time and a lot of commitment, but we are feeding a lot of cattle and getting a lot of data back. And, and uh, these premiums out there are very real. And what this is doing for us, it's, it's created another enterprise where we don't have to supply the labor. We don't have to provide a tractor. You know, there's no overheads. These cattle can go away, but yet we can still have some more profit on the genetics that we're already that we're already uh, using around here. So, so I think there's great opportunities to retain some ownership on some calves and uh, just keep building on your genetic base because you will be rewarded in the marketplace. And that's great. You know, you talk about that there not being enough certified Angus beef to fill demand. I think that's an especially real conversation as you start to talk about reduced cattle numbers and there's going to be fewer cattle, so we better make sure the ones that we've got are are the really good ones. Right, absolutely. And you know, it's here. There's two things that are going to happen. Uh, it's going to rain again. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> and 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 when this happens, feed's going to get cheap, and everybody's going to keep every heifer they got. I would challenge everybody listening to this, even if you're a if you are a seed stock producer or a hobby cow calf guy with, with seven head of cows, develop your plan right now, how you are going to, are you, you're going to make goals to better your cow herd because look, mother nature already came in and did the hard lifting for you. If you took a hundred cows and said, I'm going to get rid of the bottom third, it'd be so painful, but mother nature's already came in and done that on about, you know, 50% of the people that are going to listen to this podcast have cut back in cow numbers, figure out today how you're going to replace those cows with superior animals, you know, so that just have a written plan saying, Hey, here's, here's our balanced approach, but we're going to put a little more emphasis on this or that so that by the time we're, we're rolling at hundred percent, we are going to be exactly where we want to be. So before I kind of wrap, wrap this up, I promised you guys an hour and I know you've got chores to get to and things like that. Uh, is there anything you wanted to add to that, Jordan? I don't want to cut you off. 
No, I mean, for our operation, you know, we've got great opportunity, you know, as we've got lots of room for improvement. And, and like Ryan said, I mean, the, the demand for this, um, high, you know, CAB beef, you know, you know, it's a great opportunity to, you know, keep improving our cow herd and, and just, just make it better, you know, so we can have more of that to supply. So I don't know if that's not all I have to add. So excellent. Well, we've been doing a random question of the week that we just started. <laughs> so your random question of the week, what's the best investment that you've made since coming back to the ranch? Uh, <laughs> nobody's going to say their engagement ring or anything like that. Well, I just going to say my wife, Jenny, but I didn't know what you're looking for. Yeah, I, I mean, I know in both of your cases that's true, so. <laughs> yeah, we, we both married well. We married up a lot. So. But you got any uh, your equipment coverage. or anything like that? that you, yeah. I, I'm going to say, Miranda, that the best investment we make on this ranch is in our people. We're, we're happy to send somebody to, uh, you know, NCBA to get up on the latest topics, to attend meetings, to meet people, to, to network and just get into the industry. Uh, we, we do a lot of stuff with ranching for profit where we work on economics, ecology, you know, more people problems. So the, yeah, without a, without a doubt, the, the best return we get is just when we invest in our people, it, uh, it brings a lot of things back to us. People are happier. They're more productive. We're all on the same page, and that that's priceless, you know. So. How do you follow that, Jordan? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, we got this really good shoot, but that's yeah, <laughs> right. Cares more about the people. Thanks, Ryan. You, you just you, you took all the thunder there. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's probably actually you talk about an investment in people and in an education. That's probably a great segue to. Remind folks that if they want to hear more from Jordan, he will be on a panel there at Salt Lake City. So if you're not registered, still a chance to register and see and network and, and visit with folks in person. So I guess with that, we'll let you guys get back to the, the rest of your day. You get the rest of that barley out. And I guess I don't know what Ryan's working on. He said he was free all week for the podcast. So you must be working <laughs> on <here>, Jordan. Well, <laughs> well, uh, I'm watching other people haul me silage now. So we've had a we've had a big change in the last 30 years. I'm, I went from driving the truck to sitting back and watching it happen. So, <laughs> you know, I often ask people when they know that they've made it. I mean, that's maybe your thing, right? Like when I finally <laughs> didn't have to haul my own silage. <laughs> right. There you go. Except for when those trucks pulled into my yard, I just counted how much money every one of those were too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, it gets pretty crazy pretty fast. That's yeah. that's the bad part about silage. You only buy silage one day a year, so it, it all kind of hits you. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. Love the insights that you shared, and we'll look forward to seeing you down the road. Take care. See you in Salt Lake. And we'd love to see you in Salt Lake, too. To register, visit angusconvention.com. And if you're enjoying these conversations, We've got a favor to ask. Rate us, leave a review, or go ahead and subscribe in your favorite podcast platform. For show notes and more, visit theangusconversation.com. 
Let the Angus Journal team help you stay up on all things Angus.